0: Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, former mayor Ray Little. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, while you're there please subscribe welcome to our people in the news episode where i interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth today we are talking with brentwood tennessee former mayor now commissioner ray little ray e little the was first elected to the city commission in 2009 he recently served as the city's mayor previously ray has served on the brentwood cool springs chamber of commerce board of directors and the rotary club of brentwood board of directors ray worked at random house publishing before taking over the family business ray t- ray little tire and auto repair located in brentwood his family's brentwood roots date back to the 1790s that's right 1790s ray earned a bachelor's degree from belmont university after graduating from franklin high school right here ray and his wife marie have two daughters who attended williamson county schools ray attends fellowship church in brentwood his community involvement includes Williamson County Convention and Visitors Bureau, Brentwood Environment Advisory Board, Planning Commission, Tree Board, Park Board, Rotary Club of Brentwood, trustee of Rotary Foundation, Brentwood Cool Springs Chamber of Commerce, Williamson um, Incorporated, I guess, Committee to for NHL All-Star Player Breakfast, and his term expires May of 2025. Commissioner, how are you today? I'm wonderful in yourself. I'm doing great and i'm so excited to have you on here uh brentwood is a wonderful place and i'm excited to talk about how long you've been there and all the rest so and, and it's beautiful sunny outside um so you are active as I just read in a very fast girl grow- oh, there's your cat back there my <laughs> cat
2: lucy she heard your voice she's very social so she's oh okay checking
1: out who's talking besides me well all the rumble <laughs> viewers will get a treat there to see lucy all right well Uh, So Brentwood, for those that don't know, is a very fast-growing suburb of Nashville. Brentwood is amazing. Uh, Your family goes back 230 years. Um, Last week, I had on the director, his name is Eric Jacobson, of the Battle of Franklin and Cool Springs Trust. So we were basically talking history about your family, for the most part. Um, You must have some military in your background. Any Civil War veterans? uh yes on, on both sides of the
2: family and actually on both sides of the conflict so truly really, i think an american experience where both both sides were generally represented by families right uh, here sometimes in from the same state but um part of my family's from kentucky and part from tennessee and so the ones from kentucky tended to fight on the union side and the ones from tennessee tended to fight on the confederate side
1: Wow. Any part of the uh, Battle of
2: Franklin or Cool Springs? They didn't fight in the Battle of Franklin. Many of them were in the 20th Tennessee, but due to wounds or or sicknesses, which anybody that knows their Civil War history knows that many more soldiers were lost to pneumonia and flu than to actual bullets, even though many did die from true, yeah. ammunition and and a lot of times took them out.
1: Okay. All right. Well, uh, taking advantage of a revolutionary war and, and the grant and a pastor who brought his congregation West where there was more land. I believe that was your cousin, Tommy little served as chairman of the Williamson County commission. Yes. Uh, yeah. And Russell little serves as the chairman of the board of trustees of Williamson County Hospital. So the littles are, uh, steeped in Tennessee history and Franklin and I guess you'd say Williamson County history. Any others? Uh,
2: Well, just way back, J.W. Little, who they're all related to and I'm related to, uh, was a commissioner uh, in Franklin for years. Uh, That's a couple of generations back. Vance Little was the unofficial historian of Brentwood. Uh, Very, uh, very interesting uh, uh, cousin. He uh, studied at Oxford University in England. He was a teacher. He was also an attorney and his avocation was genealogy and then history and that's one reason the littles know our heritage all the way back into scotland oh. it, uh, is because of vance's uh he enjoyed going you know you, if nowadays genealogy is a little easier because of all the, the ancestry.coms or whatever but used to you had to go to courthouses and look through big old dusty books and you had to go literally to cemeteries and look at the grave markers to see who was related to who and, and when, and he, he did all that even going back into England and Scotland. So.
1: Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Any other notable family members or books written about any of your kin here uh, that we know locally? Not really. (laughs) Um,
2: Typically, even for generations, um, our family always been like local community servants, like commissioners, aldermans. In the past, they might have been a judge or, 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 or the constable or keeper of the peace. An interesting story, Gershom Hunt, my ancestor that came to Brentwood on the Revolutionary War land grant, was his father, Jonathan, that actually fought the Revolutionary War, and more in the southern theater, uh, Cowpens, Kings Mountain, those areas. He, they were from North Carolina at that time. But Jonathan had the unique uh, uh, opportunity to uh, greet George Washington. We often think of presidents now going on publicity tours. A lot of people didn't know. They've done that for a couple of centuries. George Washington used to ride in a carriage or a stagecoach until he would get to about a quarter mile out of town, and then he would get on his beautiful white war horse
1: and ride into town and be greeted. (laughs) Now they do it on bicycles to get a hard time yeah. for. What about um, uh, Andrew Jackson? Anybody uh, on the Battle of 1812, War of 1812?
2: Not that I'm aware of. There okay. is a possibility, but not that I'm aware of. Even though that was a great Tennessee volunteer. In fact, that's probably actually. The war that started the, the Tennessee volunteer
1: reputation. That's right. And then Polk uh, down in Mexico, yes. uh, the next one, another Tennessean, any connection there?
2: No. And I think most of the ones that were with Polk were professional
1: military. Our
2: family has served through the t- centuries, but they tend to be more of the, say, the typical American, I guess you'd say, militia man or minute mm-hmm. man that mm-hmm. serves during the conflict, but then goes back to the farm or the business or whatever once the conflict's over.
1: so great. Right. So I had here Vance T. Little, who you mentioned, wrote several books on Brentwood and served as the historian in the city and at Brentwood United Methodist Church. Many of Vance Little's works and memorabilia can be found in the John P. Holt Library in the okay. Brentwood room that is dedicated in his name. Brentwood Historic Commission was founded based on Vance Little's work and he is still referenced frequently when discussing the history of the city. Yes. Yes. Do you think that the uh, little name helped you uh, in the uh, kind of the scrum that you were all in to win your first mayor um, seat? That
2: is no doubt about it because I'm a third. So my grandfather, a little senior, served Brentwood for decades and my father and, uh, So I was teased, especially when I won my first election. I'm like the turtle on the fence post. I didn't get there on my own. So (laughs) uh, I kind of had a lot of shoulders to stand on and and a lot of family. It's less so now because the area, when I was in first grade in 1969, but people want to do the math and figure out how old I am, (laughs) there were 3,000 people in Brentwood and there's now 45,000. And so I've seen a great change. I've seen it go from where I could go into a store and not only know most of the people there, but probably be related to between a quarter and a half of the people in the store or the restaurant to now that that's not as common. And, and of course, several family as they got older, they've moved to other areas. Uh, even though I, I will say this, we tend to have a predilection for towards uh, Middle Tennessee. We Most of the family stayed at least in the Middle Tennessee area, so
1: yeah well i think it's great that you decided to serve as as, uh in a role and work your way up to mayor from commissioner and now back to commissioner because you have such deep roots and you're part of the soil for the most part um in the 1800s one of brentwood's early names was midway Mm -hmm. the mansion at brentwood country club bears the name midway uh growing up in cool springs there must not have been much here as you just said five thousand people so in terms of infrastructure not much to what it is now an actual tourist destination Um, you've overseen a lot of growth around you being on the council for 15 years. What have you seen in the management of that growth? Well, actually, the interesting thing is,
2: even though all around us has grown very rapidly, Brentwood, for the last
0: eh,
2: 15 years, has only averaged between 100 and 130 housing starts a year. Now, after the, of course, some of that was 2009, 2010, 2011. There were like 30 housing permits, if you can remember the bad economy then. Um, we did get back up to around 200 housing permits, maybe 2014, 2015. But since then, have' averaged only about 100, 125. So I think Brentwood has done a great job managing. Probably the fastest growth in Brentwood happened from 2000 to about 2007, where a lot of those years there were between four and six hundred and fifty housing starts a year. Hmm. Um, a lot of our uh, traffic also is not Brentwood citizens. Going back to your Midway, Midway was named for a reason, and Brentwood's still midway between Franklin, Columbia, Nashville, Spring Hill, and all their growth. But it's also A lot of people commute from Rutherford County, Wilson County. I I live off of Sunset in East Brentwood. And it's kind of neat because I live as the Crow's flies about a mile from the Revolutionary War land grant property. And so that's kind of nice when I go down Concord Road and Ebbison Pike and see, you know, that. And I have memories when it was still a dairy farm because it was a dairy farm until 1978. But I started noticing Eh, several years ago on Concord road that a lot of the license in front of me were not Williamson County. They were Rutherford County or Wilson County, uh, tags. And, um, and, and so I began to figure out, or Davidson County, of course, that a lot of our traffic is pass what pass through, or some of it's going to our office buildings at Maryland farms, but a lot of it's passed through because Brentwood is midway between, um, you probably are aware of this because it sounds like you're well-schooled in, in the history, but Brentwood was one of the main stops for the Franklin-Nashville Interurban Railroad. And there was a railroad. In fact, if you dig deep enough on Franklin Road, I'm sure there are still tracks, but there was a trolley or a railroad that went from Franklin to Nashville every day and several times a day. And would turn around in Nashville and go back. And two of my uncles... Actually, would walk from Edmondson Pike and Concord Road to Franklin Road and catch the inner urban and go to Robertson Academy. Schools were a little different back then. You didn't have the strong county school systems like you do now. But that that would have been in the in the 30s, if you can believe it. And so, of course, Robertson Academy right there across from Overton and Franklin Road Academy on Franklin Road.
1: Well, that's and, a perfect segue to my next question. Yeah, is After all that you've seen, and like you said, the memories of the dairy farm that's now a Civil War uh, cemetery, how do you feel about Nashville's drive to create a uh, light rail, let's call it, or a commuter train that is going to obviously have to go right through Midway on its way to Franklin, where I am? Um, I'm not in favor of it. How do you feel about it? I've
2: studied that very thoroughly, actually going back into the 90s, some of my work with other organizations like the Chamber of Commerce and all. And the more I have studied it, the more I realize that we probably missed the boat on that by about 30 or 40 years, because the existing tracks handle so much freight. Speaking of the Civil War, the reason battles were fought all over Nashville and Chattanooga and Atlanta is because those were major railroad hubs and the Civil War was fought on the railroad. And so uh, the, um, I, I just I feel we missed the boat. I don't know what our solution is, actually. Um, if, it, if anyone's ever been in Los Angeles driving on the 5 or the 405, you can only build them so wide, and they still stay packed. And so, uh, I mean, you know, they have some, I guess there are 12 and 14 lanes across one way, and they still are just <laughs> packed with cars
1: yeah. i lived there a long time it that I, it didn't change anything except the amount of smog
2: exactly it's
1: and if you build a train next to it it'll be like where steve is sitting in seattle where you get to drive in traffic and look to your right and see the train coming and it's empty because exactly. nobody wants to be subject to that schedule so i hope they don't do it i hope they didn't do it but I, we can talk about more of that in a second
2: there, there are some other alternatives though some of the there's some bus transit alternatives and whatnot that might work, but you would have to have a total regional buy in of Nashville and all the surrounding counties. And that 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 would be very difficult, I feel, from what
1: regional activity I've been a small part of. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so there's a total of seven members elected at large for four (laughs) years on staggering terms on your council. Uh, The mayor and vice mayor are appointed by the commission for two year terms. Okay. So I think you had two of those. I Uh, did. Okay. How about working with your fellow commissioners, Andrews Dunn, McMillan Spear, Vice Mayor Travis, and new mayor Gorman? Are they all a collegial bunch or you you got some infighting going on over there?
2: It's fairly collegial. It's like any political body. It's, uh, there's always, uh, it's kind of like playing on an athletic team everybody smiles during the national anthem, but sometimes the locker room is happy and sometimes the locker room's not happy. So that would probably be my best comparison. And of course you have differing views on differing issues. And like I've always said, some of my commissioners that I've worked with that I was actually very close to on certain issues, I disagreed vehemently, but I really respected their intelligence and often even respected how they viewed the issue that I didn't agree with them. I just came up to a different conclusion. Um, I I always want commissioners to be independent, to think for themselves, um, to have the courage to kind of like, I would say like with my wife. My wife's been married to me for 36 years and she loves me. But she only agrees with me probably 60 or 70% of the time. You're lucky. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) That's Hall of Fame stuff right there. (laughs)
2: Exactly. And so I just feel like, you know, you have to have the courage to go, well, this is what I absolutely think is the best for Brentwood. And I always try to look at it. What is the best for all of Brentwood? Not for my little area, not for one small group, but what is best overall, but not just short term, But long term, of course, I would never propose that I was a prophet because I think there's some big uh, um, warnings about that. But I do a lot of times use logic to say we got from here, we got to here. So my sense is, is from here, it's most likely going to go in this direction. And I feel I have a unique perspective because not only was I raised here, but my family's been here for a couple of centuries and I was blessed when I grew up, I was surrounded by all these great men and women that were aunts and uncles and even great uncles and great aunts and and cousins and, and different ones that were older. And for whatever reason, when I was young, I always loved listening to them talk politics and business, all of them owned their own businesses. And so they met payroll every week they tended to be fairly conservative even though they did understand that we are called to love our neighbor and so i think that really produced a unique perspective and so i don't know all the answers and there's often unintended consequences from decisions you make whether it's personally or but but i i do feel that really helps to have that this is where we've been this is where we are and hopefully this is the direction we're going. I do feel our area has grown real rapidly. I'm sensing that not just our area, but even metropolitan Nashville and some of the other counties are starting to rein it in. I know Williamson County, our government in, in their some of their new zoning about land use in the county and whatnot have reined in some some zoning to slow growth. And I think that's a, that's probably a good thing. I think no growth is bad. I think you become stagnant.
1: Yeah, but it well, has I, to be digestible. It can't be a, a shotgun kind of approach. I'll get into that a little more with you, too. Sure. But let's talk about a real world example. While you were uh, the mayor in 2017, there was frusta- frustration with a school district proposal that would send some Brentwood students to schools in other parts of the county because of overcrowding in the Brentwood schools. This is Mm -hmm. one of the problems of growth, at least too fast of growth. The schools are probably the major digestion point for this. Uh, They wanted to vote for a plan to fund expansions at Brentwood Middle and Brentwood High to prevent rezoning. How did you resolve all that? Well, a couple of things on that.
2: First, all my life, the people in Brentwood wanted their own school system because Franklin had their own school system. And even when I was in college, there was actually a vote on that. And so when all this happened and every time there was a big rezoning, we have no control over the schools. That's Williamson County's control, which is good. The county does a great job. We obviously have one of the best public school systems in the whole nation, but the families whose children, Hey, why don't we have our own school system? So I did, I was in favor of us having a study. But as we were studying to have the study with the experts, I realized that purchasing all those properties and buildings and running a school system would be well into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And we did not have a failing school system like they did in in, uh, Memphis when Collierville did form a small city school system. But I think it's only two or three schools. And so quickly I realized the best thing to do is, to work with the county. And so I think us talking about the study helped. I think that was a little leverage with the county and the county came on about and did the STEM building. Now, remember, I went to Northside Junior High, which was Brentwood Middle, and 50 years later when we would have our rotary pancake breakfast there, it had not changed. The restroom next to the band room still looked the same as it did when I was in seventh grade. And so it's neat to see that the middle schools being basically rebuilt. But I, I think the county, and I think uh, Dr. Golden, our superintendent, who was not the, he was assistant superintendent then, but was not the superintendent then, has done a good job of, of trying to make sure that Brentwood and Brentwood students, because Brentwood and Ravenwood high schools every year rank in the top 100 of schools in the nation of, of, yeah. of secondary schools, which
1: is not I was going to go through the numbers of the results. Brentwood High School placed in the top 30% of all schools in Tennessee for overall test scores. Math proficiency is bottom 50%, and reading proficiency is top 1%, which is great. For the 2020-21 school year, the percentage of students achieving proficiency in math is 15 to 19%, which is lower than the Tennessee state average of 28%. For the 2021 school year, this of course is public schools. What are your opinions on what Brentwood does right and wrong with public education? Um,
2: I feel like it. It, it for public education, education it does a great job. Uh, one, we have two great principals, Dr. Kaidel and, and Dr. Vaden, um, that that administer the schools well and are very experienced and have been at the schools a long time. Uh, James Parker, who was the principal, the beginning principal at Brentwood I, who the stadium's named after, was actually one of my principals at Franklin High School. Hmm. Lifelong educator, lifelong... He was on our park board and chairman of our park board in Brentwood for years. The point I'm making is that and the parents, there's great involvement. There's great parental involvement. Uh, the children are um, encouraged to to you know to excel and and to succeed and i feel like in a lot of our public school systems that may have been lost Um, some of the experiments they've done in certain urban areas on public schools i think really hurt parental involvement and i i I just i know the parental involvement makes a huge difference so that with all the tools the county gives and this and the county budget is much better now for years there there were some real issues there but i think the tax structures have gotten better on funding schools but when i went to you know franklin high school we had an outstanding school and we could always tell when we would do the statewide like history or math competitions against even boarding schools around the state we would always score usually in the top 10 in the state in those different uh, you know, academic contest. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with that, but you actually, back then you would go to a college and they would literally, you would give a test. It would be like playing a sport, except you would take a test on history or math or whatever. And they would just literally score, or a forensics competition where you would do speech or debate. And
1: yeah. even- Williamson County is getting a reputation around the world, around the country as being one of the best in the, yes. in the country. Another thing that makes Brentwood a slice of heaven is uh 0.68 is the number for violent crimes per thousand residents versus the median for Tennessee, 6.75, a right. thousand times worse. You have a 1 in 1,467 chance of being a victim in Brentwood versus 1 in 148 in the whole state of Tennessee. So very, very safe place. But Uh, Let's see. Well, not but, but the new 56,000 square foot public safety building for the Brentwood Police Department officially opened in April 2021, a 2,200 square foot municipal courtroom at $29 million. It is the city's largest capital project in the city's history, which you got to oversee that Um, Mm -hmm. a week ago. Just, you know, so that's the good news, the bad news. A week ago, a 17-year-old who was shot Friday night, last Friday, in Brentwood and died from his gunshot injuries, police announced Saturday. One man was injured after a robbery turned into a gunfight, a 17-year-old. Uh, that is a very rare instance in Brentwood, isn't it? It is. It's always, there's always been,
2: <laughs> there's always been evil, I guess. If you want to go back to history, basically where the, where the. Uh, Concord general store is market. Um, the, the one at the corner of, of Wilson Pike and Concord road, that was a blacksmith shop. And one of the famous things, my cousin Vance mentioned, I think it was in the 1840s, 1850s, there was a murder there. So he wrote a book called murder on Wilson Pike. And, uh, and so you've always had that. Even when I was young, there would be an incident every 10 or 12 years, but it is rare in Brentwood. Um, a lot of times our crime does not come from our citizens, even though it can. It's often people from the outside, people who live in areas surrounding Brentwood that will come into Brentwood, our police, if you
1: interview which would be a wonderful
2: interview if you've never interviewed him, our chief of police, Richard
1: Hickey. I was going to segue right to that. Tell us about your relationship with Richard Hickey and how he does it different and maybe how Memphis and Nashville could learn from him and the Brentwood way to help reduce their crime problem. How did, how was working with him?
2: Yeah, we're very selective. So sometimes we'll be short staffed until we find the right people. We look for shepherd warriors. We look for those who shepherd And protect first but are fierce warriors if if the need arises as a commissioner I've always tried to equip them with the the latest and the greatest whatever is the best for policing Uh, they're very professional Uh, many things that have happened around the nation are things that our police force has not done for years or never did we are one of the few internationally accredited police forces in Tennessee, and really there's very few actually in the nation, when you consider the number of police and sheriff's departments there are. So that excellence makes a difference. Uh, they can't be everywhere at once. There's, there's no way you can prevent everything. But I will say this. They tend to be very proactive. They, they try to get into situations and and stop something before it happens. We also bird dog, and if you want to know what that means, if a crime's committed, those detectives may not go home for 72, 96, 120 hours, wow. and they'll stay on the case because generally most cases are solved within the first 72 hours. My understanding, and I'm by no means a police officer, but my understanding is, after that length of time, the trail starts to get pretty cold and you miss things that that would be great leads. And so uh, that cuts down on crime because criminals don't really want to be arrested here because they are going to go down to Williamson County. And so far, we've been blessed. Our district attorneys down there will prosecute you.
1: Yes, they will. And I do, I will reach out to, to Officer Hickey and ask him to come on. Um, in the meantime, you are in Williamson County, even though you butt up against Davidson County, you know the big bad yes. Nashville. But you have Sheriff Dusty Rhodes in your jurisdiction. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on Williamson County Sheriff Dusty Rhodes?
2: I think Dusty's great, and uh, he's uh, um very noble. I've worked with him on a few different things, even during COVID. Worked on, and were was in meetings with him, and he's just a really good guy. He's always very accessible too. I. I like public servants, and I know they're very busy, and this goes for myself, but we'll strive to get back to you within an hour or two, but no longer than 24 hours if you call and have a need. And and we are blessed, actually, in Williamson County, uh, even in our municipalities, most of our public servants are very, uh, very responsive and do try to, to get back, and that's something I appreciate about Dusty as well.
1: So Yeah. Yeah, very popular. Um, so Brentwood, forty five thousand three hundred seventy three residents versus eighty eight thousand seven twenty three in Franklin. So about half. Franklin is the seventh largest city, um, also growing fast. How would you compare Brentwood to Franklin to say an out of towner looking to move their family? How would you work um, for the chamber of commerce and pitch Franklin uh, under, or I should say Brentwood over, uh, Franklin as a destination?
2: Well, it kind of depends on what you're. Looking for if you want a community that is totally suburban, then I would say Brentwood would be your choice. Um, Franklin's a wonderful community too. Um, the uh, Franklin is an old community. Brentwood's a new community. Franklin's been around for over two hundred years. Brentwood was only established in nineteen sixty nine, uh, and so it's they're like two totally different areas now you have subdivisions in Franklin that I'm sure look very similar to subdivisions in Brentwood, but it's just two totally different flavors uh, Dr. Moore, Mayor Moore, is a close friend of mine and so but I would tell people that if you want lower property taxes, come to Brentwood because we probably have the lowest. And I think this was our 34th straight year without raising city property taxes.
1: Perfect Uh, segue. That's where I was going to go. Fayetteville city leaders just raised property taxes 20%. Bluff City up 10%. Greene County 30%. Johnson County is proposing a plus 22%. Rutherford County is flirting with its largest property tax hike in nearly 30 years at 16%. So that's a thing now. For 29 years, your city has not increased property taxes. Is Brentwood looking to finally... No, no. <laughs> it's uh,
2: it, unless something drastically changed. One, we have a very good re- revenue stream uh, from several sources We we don't put all of our eggs in one basket. And I want to give a shout out to Senator Blackburn. She worked for years to get internet sales taxed and I can tell you as a brick and mortar business who pays property taxes, insurance, city taxes, sales taxes, personality taxes or whatever, it would kill me that these companies could even sell the product at the same price as me but the customer got a, basically a 10% discount because they didn't have to pay sales tax. So the the internet sales tax has made a big difference and uh, really helps places like Brentwood. In fact, when COVID initially started, we were real worried. Oh, my goodness. You know, what about revenues? People aren't going anywhere. You, businesses are closing. Uh, internet sales tax. Our revenues didn't even hardly decrease during the whole pandemic. And uh, our our, our uh, it was hard on the brick-and-mortar people like myself. It was a rough two years. But our citizens still bought the stuff. They just got it delivered. So... Uh, but they're now going back out and shopping and have for a while. But but that helps you keep your property tax. Being wise, we're real strict with our budget. Uh, I, I want to feel like I'm a good steward. That's not my money. I don't want to build something to, to my honor or whatever. Even our police headquarters, we worked with that probably from conception to finished about seven years, it's still we still have people from around the country that visit it because it is very well done, but they're also a lot of times blown away at the price we built it for. $29 million is a lot. I think one of the bond issues was $20 million, which was by far a record in Brentwood. And I can tell you when I signed that bond, that was Nerve wracking. It just, mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's a lot of money. And I know the federal government throws billions of dollars uh, out, like you know, Vegas weekend. But the, uh, but that twenty million dollars, but that we take it real serious. That that was that meant a lot to me because I knew that was a lot of money, and and I want to be a good steward of of our our taxpayers' dollars. I will share with you real real quick property tax probably hurts residents on fixed income worse than any other tax. And we have a lot of people who, I went to school with their children, but still live here and are actively involved in our community, but they're on a fixed income. And I've been for several years. So when inflation hits like it has the last couple of years, that puts a dent. But if you're raising their property tax, that's, that's something, they may have owned that house for the last 20 years, you know, had it paid off since they were 60, but they're 81 now, they're still in a fixed income, you double their poppy tax or raise it 30%. They're sometimes deciding between necessities and that, but they want to live in their community where they've lived for years. And so it between,
1: always, between that inflation and Tennessee care not necessarily yeah. covering a lot of it, seniors, that is yes. a problem. And I hate seeing seniors yeah. bounced out of their house because of rules and regulations like taxes versus they just want to downsize or yes, move I just somewhere want else.
2: To go to an apartment where it's small, but yeah. Yeah, by that's choice,
1: like not by necessity. Yes. That's
2: Especially, what I America-
1: And coming from you who's been there 230 years you know those are roots you want to be there until you die maybe the kids even want to grow or the grandkids want to go there now you are a very devout christian man i i heard you personally give an opening prayer at brentwood academy at christmas time very moving very touching very very beautiful um you you could tell okay so so how did your faith guide you as mayor in a small town since you were the, in charge basically for, for those 15 years. And is there going to be maybe a little bit more of a secular or shall we call it business mind versus a, a heart uh, for it, for that um, as Nashville becomes more like Hollywood and you're right next door. Do you think the future of Brentwood can be more mm, secular, let's just say, and less. It, uh, yes. It, go
2: ahead. it could be, and it depends on who's. Who's elected, you might say. Um, but I personally, I I ran for commission because I felt called to. Um, I know a lot of people say that, but I was unique. I never had a thought of doing that. And I, I ran in 2009, but in the summer of 2008, in July of 2008, I had four different friends who were not connected to each other but had known me for decades suddenly out of the blue go, You'd make a great Brentwood City Commissioner. And I'm like, where did that come from? I mean, like, where, I, I've never, you know, I was a little bit involved with like student government and school stuff, but I, you know, I'd, I'd not been, you know, actively involved. Like, it never said to anybody, oh, I want to be a commissioner. When the fourth one did it, I went, okay, Lord, I know I'm hard headed, but that's four in about four weeks. And I never thought about this. So I prayed about it about six months. I don't do anything quick. And so, And so that's why I decided to run. And I didn't know if I sometimes on those types of things, I never know if it's so I can run and be elected or he just wants me to go through the journey of a campaign because there's nothing except maybe war. I've never been in war, but a political campaign is is like getting in a tunnel for a few months. And once you go in the tunnel, you don't come out till at the end of election day. And everything you do, you've got, you know, and if a journalist suddenly needs a thing and you've worked all day and it's 10 o'clock at night, you've got to stay up to three in the morning to do, you know, whatever. So it's crazy. So I I would have never like raised my hand and volunteered for that on the front end. After doing it and being up there for four years, you start to see a difference you're making. And then that, that brings a lot of satisfaction. And sometimes nobody else knows the difference. And sometimes you couldn't, it's like the sausage-making analogy, you couldn't even explain to them what you did because it wouldn't make any sense. But you know you made a difference, whether it's even making an intersection safer. Yeah. I mean, there's just, those kind of things are neat to me. My neat thing, really neat things to me is like police headquarters, Smith Park, uh, Windy Hill Park, those types of things. You also
1: saw the opening of Station 5 in East Brentwood. Um, yes. Is that, yeah, I got about five minutes left with you. Yeah. So is that working out well? Is that, It is. Okay, great. Yes. Now your wife of 40-plus years, uh, Marie, did she help guide you in your leadership as mayor? Because she obviously had a lot of roots here too. I don't know yes. if they go as deep as yours do. You can tell us real quick. But, but did she yeah. have an eye towards manageable growth and not let you... Uh, You know, we just had an election in Colorado Springs. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was a lot of folks and what it boiled down to, one of which was a Benghazi survivor, he didn't make it past the general, but it came down to two developers. Mm. And one developer wanted one project and one developer wanted another project. And so the winner obviously got their project, but the council themselves had to band together and say, we're going to section off this part of property as a no-go zone or an ag reserve type of thing. That's what city council has become is like developer division. Yes. Is that happening here in Brentwood too? Or is it a fight between growth and developers and no growth and old school folks? And did Marie give you that mentality to say, let's keep it small and manageable?
2: Well, in a sense, she is a good sounding board. Um, I don't necessarily know that she like was a rain on me because I actually... There's been points where we needed a project or needed some growth in a certain area, but it still has to be within the framework of what makes Brentwood. And it has to be very methodically done and well thought out. So there's been some growth while I've been in office. The Hill Center will be an example, City Park. Those were very needed. Our retail areas there were really suffering, especially when we came out of the 2009-2010 economy collapse but since then we've not had a lot um, some of the car dealerships on what was called the old flag pro- property you know off of Morris Lane but it uh, uh, yeah she's like myself she she loves going down Concord Road and not passing a Walmart mm-hmm. it, I mean you know not, we yeah. we love Brentwood it, it was unique it's commercials all in the north are all in the south except for things that were there before the city was like the Concord General Store or the you know the Concord Market or whatever that's neat because residents can literally commute and when they get in Brentwood they don't have to pass anything commercial a lot of times to get to their house and there's a certain relaxation to that and so I don't think anybody wants to change that. The one-acre density, that's that's great. Even in our places where the lots may be smaller than one acre, they do that a lot of times for beautification or for borders with streets or whatever. The Still, the overall project is well more than one house. I mean, well more than one acre per house. So, And I think that's kind of sacrosanct in Brentwood. And now okay, that we so- don't...
1: Last question for you. Um, Like every city uh, or county or suburb of, say, a big city like Nashville, affordable housing for seniors is an issue, faces Brentwood too. Uh, What do you see the priorities of the council next session and what are your hopes for the future of Brentwood? Uh, my hopes as far as senior housing or just, uh, I, I threw that in there as one obvious issue yeah, that everybody faces, but what do you think the council's priorities are going to be? And what do you hope for the future of Brentwood long after you're gone?
2: I, I hope that we'll continue to obtain green space when we get a chance, because once it's gone, it's gone. And we've done a good job of that. I think you can only do that if you stay fiscally responsible, Anything we can do to improve traffic, the, one of our large problems is our three big traffic roads are Franklin Road, the interstate, and Concord Road. Uh, Concord Road's a state route. Franklin Road's U.S. and state route, and the interstate is definitely a federal route. Uh, but any way we can do traffic improvements, or if we can partner with another community, I know the McEwen extension, and there's some talk about a, it's basically a um, an extension through Nolensville, Smyrna, Laverne. Anything traffic-wise to help traffic would be a good thing. I think keeping slow growth, 60 to 80, 100 housing starts a year. I think those things will keep Brentwood fiscally strong. And our government in Brentwood not being everything to everybody. There's sometimes you have to say no, and I feel like our commission especially since the late 80s, early 90s. I'll give them credit, long before I was up there. and But since then have been very good about this is what we're good at doing. We're not good at doing that. Or private enterprise does that well. So we don't need to take it over because generally when the government takes over something that private enterprise does well, the government does not do it as efficient.
1: You're and right. so Well, thank you, Mayor, for for the time. We appreciate all you're doing to keep this place beautiful. Uh, We are at the end here, so tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and and maybe follow your social media.
2: All right. You can find me, raise a little on Facebook, uh, and I guess the city website, and and then – I have a campaign website, but I don't do a whole lot (laughs) during the off year. So you you can find out a lot of historical information, I guess, on that. So yeah, and and, they can read your uncle's book. Yeah, exactly. Or or ray.little at BrentwoodTN.gov. If you have a city issue, you need to contact me about. So
1: there you go. Well, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. I feel
2: honored to be asked. Thank you.
1: Choosing the right mortgage for your home financing depends on so many factors. Working with a mortgage lender that offers a broad selection of mortgage programs is key. At OneTrust Home Loans, they have helped many homeowners reach their home financing goals because they listen to anticipate your home financing goals and dreams. They aren't salesy, so for those 55 and older, you can trust them to help people not just survive but thrive with extra cash flow. At OneTrust, service is everything. To speak with a mortgage specialist about your home financing goals, call Matt Helton, Nolensville Branch Manager at 615 400 6764 Be sure to tell him Steve and Steve from MC View sent you.
0: Calcon Mutual Mortgage LLC, DBA One Trust Home Loans, is an Equal Housing Lender. NMLS 46375. All products are not available in all states. All options are not available on all programs. All programs are subject to borrow and property qualifications. Rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change without notice. For more information on reverse mortgages, visit one slash loans dot com slash reverse dash mortgage disclosures.
1: Welcome to the Stephen Steve segment of our show, where we cover what we just heard. Producer Steve, what'd you think of our guest, Brentwood Mayor Commissioner Little?
0: Hey, that was really enjoyable listening in on that conversation, and uh, what a wonderful guy! And he has served so many positions. There, Steve, there's <clears throat> there's people who are volunteers. They serve on the councils. They serve in Rotary. They serve on you know, in their city and stuff. My dad did a lot of that. And I didn't. <clears throat> I played different roles in what I do in my service. So but I am grateful for God fearing individuals with a heart to serve their neighbors like um Ray, um, to do his part and to keep your little community intact and not allow it to go nuts.
1: Yeah. We didn't have two hundred and thirty years of roots in my, my family, but that he reminded me of my mom's activism in town. She could have been mayor but decided there was better things to be a kingmaker than a king as they say um we have we were talking offline about the difference between mill creek washington linwood and everett and how the same growth issues happening in nashville brentwood franklin taking place but if the if the bright people in charge care about the history and slow growth and the ability to digest we can keep america america so fantastic that's what mill creek is all about by the way and that's why this is called the mill creek view podcast um speaking to somebody who isn't probably as admirable, let's just say as the former mayor do you know who Dr. Lena Wen is?
0: no I do not, but I'm going to learn here real quick
1: you are dr. Lena Wen <laughs> Lena Cheryl Wen is American physician, author, professor, speaker, consultant, newspaper columnist, and television commentator. She is a former health commissioner for the city of Baltimore and former president of Planned Parenthood. Born January 27th, 1983, Shanghai, China. That's interesting. Did you know that Dr. Lena Wen has been a crisis actor since the Boston Marathon bombing? For those of you who have no idea who I'm talking about, this is a woman who has been frequently on CNN, MSNBC, and all cable networks you can imagine, trying to help lead from a citizen, civilian's point of view during the COVID crisis, pretty much in the line that we've been talking about for a year and a half now, that was all bullshit. So she is one of the directly responsible misinformation professionals, and she used to be the president of Planned Parenthood until she got fired for trying to turn it into a business instead of a healthcare profession, which it is now trying to be both. Okay, so let's start with clip number one. This goes back to the Boston Marathon bombing when she was nobody but just little Cheryl Wynn
0: lena Wen, she's an emergency room physician who was working at massachusetts general hospital the day of the terror attack she also works at brigham and women's hospital so you were at massachusetts general monday what happened
3: oh it was a horrific day we had no idea what was coming it was three o'clock and we heard that there were two explosions but we didn't know where we had no idea how many people were coming to us
1: how many people came
3: It seemed like dozens, and it was. It was probably nearly three dozen patients in two hours or so.
0: And was the hospital ready for it? I've heard from Dr. Walls from the other, uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, that because of all the drills the hospitals here have been running since 9-11, you were unbelievably prepared.
3: Technically and medically, we were ready. We had done drills. We knew what to do with each individual patient who came in.
1: So in that video, if you could see it, you can't, but if you could, you would see her performing in front of a green screen. <laughs> However, there are many more inconsistencies regarding Lena Wen. Let's, ex- let's explore them, shall we? We shall. Number one, Lena Wen has lived an interesting life, to say the least. She was a crisis actress during the Boston bombing. I just told you that on CNN. She was a WEF, Young Global Leader. Do you know what WEF stands for by now?
0: World Economic
1: Forum. Correct. She served as the president of Planned Parenthood under the Gates Foundation. That is correct. She has no she morals. A, well, that's not on a resume, but she was a crisis actress during COVID, CNN. Number two, Chinese-born. Uh, Wen was heavily pushing the CCP agenda and advocated compulsory vaccination. It's quite striking that the Canadian health official Teresa Tam and the U.S. fear-mongering Eric Ding shared similar views. Uh, Clip number two.
3: One other thing that we're seeing now, and I think this is a response to the rise of Delta, is more willingness among governmental authorities and others to mandate the vaccine. We saw that yesterday the VA said it's going to require the vaccine for its employees. We saw the mayor of New York, the governor of California. Do you anticipate seeing more in this vein, more requirements? Yes, and it cannot come soon enough. We have hit a wall when it comes to vaccinations in this country. We're just not going to get even where close to the vaccine levels that we need in order to prevent another surge of, um, a, 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 of coronavirus and the development of new mutations okay. and new variants over time. Really, what we need to do is to right? make a decision as a society. I mean, we have laws, for example, against drunk driving. You can drink in your home or in private if you would like. But we have a law saying that if you want to get behind a wheel where you could potentially endanger other people, then that's not allowed. That's against the standards of conduct in our society. I think at some point we need to make a similar decision about the vaccine. You can remain unvaccinated if you so choose. But if you want to be in public and potentially could be infecting others with a dangerous and sometimes fatal disease that's highly transmissible, then There's an obligation of society. I mean, I think you could have an opt-out the way that France, for example, or Italy and other countries are doing, saying that if you want to be in bars, restaurants, movie theaters, et cetera, either be vaccinated or have proof of a recent negative test. I hope that we move in that direction as a country here, because at the end of the day, I don't really understand why people have the choice to be infecting um, our vulnerable children or immunocompromised people or even others who have taken the responsible choice to get vaccinated.
1: Of course, she didn't understand she's a communist, but now I'm just trying to create the case here as to who we've been dealing with. Number three, for the past nine months, however, this daily fear monger has been silent as if someone pulled the plug on her. She has not yet retracted her blatant false statements, which have likely cost numerous lives. Therefore, it is time for a quick fact check. Lena Wen, MD, at Lena Wen, public health professor... G.W. Public Health, author of Lifelines, emergency physician, contributing columnist, Washington Post, CNN, medical analyst, mom, Baltimore, Maryland. That is her her LinkedIn prop uh, her LinkedIn page. November seventeenth, two thousand twenty-two. Um, grant makers in health number four in July, twenty twenty-one. When claimed that it would be much safer. For vaccinated people to be around others who received the gene therapy she also asserted that vaccinating everyone would stop the pandemic and she has been proven wrong on both counts here's a quote from her on twitter exactly no sorry here's the response vaccinated people do not transmit the virus at the same rate as unvaccinated people and if you fail to include that context you're doing it wrong ben wakana july 30th 2021 Lena Wen responded, exactly. We need to make it clear that vaccination reduces your chance of getting infected with COVID-19 and thus of transmitting it. Vaccinated people around other vaccinated people is much safer than around those unvaccinated. The key to stopping the pandemic, vaccination, exclamation point. Number five, in September 2021, Wen demanded that the unvaccinated should not be allowed to leave their homes. Mm Mm-hmm this statement lacks support from available data to this day it appears that you can take china born lena wen out of communism but you can't take communism out of lena wen coronavirus cnn's lena wen the unvaccinated should not be allowed to leave their homes quote you have the option to not get vaccinated if you want said the doctor but then you can't go out in public september 10 2021 number 6 In March 2021, Wen was not worried about increasing cases, but about losing control, i.e. Vax passports. Her statement that vaccination is a ticket to pre-pandemic life, while concurrently saying that vaccinated people should still avoid travel was highly contradictory. Number seven, in July 2021, Wen said that we can't trust the unvaccinated. During the authoritarian regimes of the 20th century, such as those under Mao in China, Societal mistrust was cultivated as a tool to marginalize certain groups, leading to disastrous consequences. Let's hear clip number three.
3: That when vaccinated and unvaccinated people are mixing, unless there is proof of vaccination, everybody should still be wearing masks. And so I actually support what the CDC is now doing, which is going back to this indoor mask requirement, because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated, that they have been walking around without masks. And in fact, that's what led to the surge that we're seeing. That when.
1: Number eight, in April 2021, when labeled people who choose not to vaccinate themselves or their children as anti-science, this sniffle never posed any risk to children or adolescents. Yet, she pushed for getting children vaccinated despite the long-term effects being unknown. Clip number four, please. Hmm.
2: A week here in Greene County reveals a more nuanced, layered hesitancy than surveys suggest. People say that politics isn't the leading driver of their vaccine attitudes. The most common reason for their apprehension is fear, fear that the vaccine was developed in haste, that long term side effects are unknown. Their decisions are also entangled in a web of views about bodily autonomy, science and authority, plus a powerful, regional, somewhat romanticized self-image. We don't like outsiders messing in our business. How do we reach that mindset?
3: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think actually there are three buckets of people who have not yet had the vaccine, and we have to regard these three groups very differently. There's a group that's truly anti-vax. They're anti-science. They may not be vaccinated their children. I actually don't think that that's the group that we should be targeting.
1: A week.
0: There you go. There she Number is. Number
1: nine. This is all in one year, by the way. Number nine. In September 2021, when admitted that vaccine passports for travel aren't about safety but served to coerce people into getting the shot. This makes my dog very unhappy, if you can hear that. She proposed a Chinese-like social credit system enforced by the FedGov and said that traveling isn't a constitutional right. Incorrect, it is. They don't teach you that in communist China. Clip number five.
3: I absolutely think we should have that requirement. I think it was a major oversight on the part of the Biden administration to not issue this yesterday. And we have to talk about the reason. The reason isn't so much that we need to keep our our train travel and plane travel even safer. They are pretty safe, although... I definitely think that having a vaccine requirement would make it even safer and probably encourage many people who are vaccinated or who have young kids and want to protect them. Um, Maybe it'll help to encourage those people to start traveling again. But there's an even bigger reason, too, which is I think we really need to make it clear that there are privileges associated with being an American, that if you wish to have these privileges, you need to get vaccinated, travel and having the right to travel interstate, it's not a constitutional right, as far as I'm, as far as I know, to yes, um, to, to, uh, to board a plane. And so, ha- saying that if you want to stay unvaccinated, that's your choice. But if you want to travel, you better go get that vaccine.
0: Steve, she works for CNN. CNN pumps out the uh, Pfizer commercials, the Moderna commercials, the Johnson and Johnson commercials. They are all working for a big corporations, and and they hate us.
1: Yeah, and good old Zoom and Tubin. Is in that one. Oh, the guy okay. that couldn't control himself on a zoom call with all ladies. Wonder what he was doing while she was. I don't I want to know where she learned her English because she really sounds like she's a recording. But number 10, we'll move along. Dr. Lena Wen is a deeply dubious figure who constantly contradicts herself and tried to impose authoritarian values on the free American society. I wouldn't be surprised if she were still on the payroll of authoritarian states or eugenics NGOs. Here's a Twitter tweet of hers. From July 7th, 2019, no one should tell you what to do with your body. Planned Parenthood is fighting against these bans on abortion care with everything we have because everyone has the right to make decisions about their own bodies. Hmm. September 9th, 2021, what I wished the new Biden COVID-19 strategy would contain, vaccine requirements for interstate travel, mandates for schools, As we do for other immunizations and a national proof of vaccination system, cajoling isn't working, it's time for drastic action. Hmm. The right decision to have an abortion, which kills a human life. No choice on whether you want to put an experimental mRNA vaccine into your arm. Okay, whatever. Number 11. (laughs) It's also revealing that Dr. Lena Wen wanted to lock up the unvaccinated two years ago only to backpedal one year later when she acted as if she had always been against strict measures. Unlike President of the United States, we won't forget the damage she has caused. CNN Lena Wen, the unvaccinated should not be allowed to leave their homes. Remember that one? Here's a tweet, August 15th, 2022. Uh, almost a, well, actually, nine, 11 months later. Everyone should choose the level of precaution appropriate to their family situation without judgment. I am concerned about those who advocate for broad restrictions for all publicly. Don't live those values in their personal lives. That (laughs) trust in public health. I think we were told by somebody (laughs) that survived communism that it wasn't that hard to live the lie. It was just hard to talk about it as a lie. That sounds very familiar to me. Now, you know, I hope that uh, was interesting to you. If she's not a China spy, she's certainly not a humanitarian or a philanthropist that only cares about people's comfort and first do no harm, right? There ought to be laws against what she did on TV, but uh, apparently there are not. And finally, former White House Coronavirus Task Force advisor Deborah Burks. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you got to remember that name. Named CEO of pharmaceutical company, has been active in private sector since leaving government positions. Let's check in on the famous Dr. Burks, the scarf. The former White House Coronavirus Task Force coordinator under former President Donald Trump has been named as the CEO of the pharmaceutical company in a July 11th press release. Armata Pharmaceuticals announced that Burke, 67, would be the new chief executive officer of the biotechnology company. Robin C. Kramer, <laughs> chair of Armata's board of directors, said, on behalf of the Armata board and leadership, I would like to welcome Dr. Burks to the team as we continue to work to introduce novel phagy therapeutics to combat serious bacterial infection oh deborah's expertise in immunology and infectious diseases together with her proven leadership skills will serve us well i look forward to her contributions as ceo and a member of our board in march 2021 burks became a senior fellow at the george w bush presidential center which said deborah l burks md has spent her career serving the united states first as an army colonel and later running some of the most high-profile and influential programs at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and U.S. Department of State. Mmm, DARPA, right? In March 2021, Burks joined the board of directors at InnoViva, a self-described diversified holding company with a portfolio of royalties that include respiratory assets partnered with Glaxo Group Limited, as well as a growing portfolio of innovative healthcare investments and assets in areas of significant unmet medical needs. Also in March of 2021, Brooks became a medical and science advisor at ActivePure, a technology company with a self-described commitment to creating the purest indoor space possible. In September 2022, Burks joined the board of directors for NanoLive, a Swiss microscope company that claims to provide breakthrough imaging and analysis solutions that accelerate research and growth industries such as drug discovery and cell therapy. In October 2022, Burks was named a member of the Federal Advisory Board for Palantir a software company specializing in data analytics and data integration. TechCrunch previously reported as of 2013. Palantir was used by at least 12 groups within the US government, including the CIA, DHS, NSA, FBI, and CDC, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, Special Operations Command, West Point, the Joint IED Defeat Organization and Allies, the Recovery Accountability and Transparency Board, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Awesome. Landed on her feet. I'm so glad. I'm confident Lena Wen, MD, will too. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally without restrictive exercise or cardboard, dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88 day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know, I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hi, I'm Tennessee Attorney General
2: Jonathan Scrametti and you're listening to the Mill Creek View podcast.
1: All right. Hopefully that didn't blow your windows out of your uh, drive home there, but uh, good. It's a good point. Welcome to my coach for the day. But before I share it, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Milk Review Podcast. And while you're there, go ahead and leave a comment. And thanks for doing it. We advocate for a transformation in medicine by returning to the fundamental partnership between physician and patient. We teach you that working toward a diagnosis is the one simple concept that will revolutionize your health care. Lena Wen, When Doctors Don't Listen, How to Avoid Misdiagnosing and Unnecessary Tests. (laughs) Our central premise is that doctors are not listening to their patients, leading to misdiagnoses and often not diagnoses at all. Lena Wen, When Doctors Don't Listen. One of my heroes, Congressman Elijah Cummings, liked to talk about how one's pain is what forms one's passion. Lena Wen, Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health. When you are confronted with a level of devastating disease and death, you never lose that sense of unbelievable humility. Deborah Burks. When, <laughs> when you're trained in medicine, and it's the 80s, and you've got all this high-tech stuff and this ability to diagnose everything, when you not only couldn't make a diagnosis, you didn't know what the problem was, and you didn't know how to treat it, it was devastating. Deborah Burks. I am become death the destroyer of worlds, Robert Oppenheimer. Enjoy the movie. That's it for this episode. Really hoped you liked it. Thank you, Ray Little, for keeping Brentwood America. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief, mcview.us. Peace Mm -hmm. in our time.